the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back as uh, you cannot ignore. Well, you know, in America, I guess every day now is political season. I was going to say the seasons are getting uh, are, become, are coming earlier and quicker and faster and sooner, but I, I think now almost every day is political season. Yesterday we had uh, scheduled um, Blake Masters, candidate uh, for the United States Senate, and we had double booked. Blake, thanks for calling back. I don't believe in public offenses and personal apologies. So we committed one, and I apologize to you for that scheduling uh, problem on our end. But thank you for uh, thank you for coming back and rescheduling with us. It's all good, Seth. Thanks for having me. You betcha. BlakeMasters.com is his website. Um, Blake, you've been on uh, the show in the past, uh, but it you know, again, cycles move so fast and there's a lot of it's almost as if it were 10 years ago, your last appearance, though it might have been a couple months. Tell the audience a little bit about yourself and why you are running for the U.S. Senate. Sure thing. I grew up in Tucson, uh, where I live now with my family. I met my wife in middle school in Tucson, if you could believe that. Um, went to Stanford, Stanford Law School. Spent a number of years in Silicon Valley uh, investing in startup technology companies. Moved back to Arizona a few years ago. And, you know, I started to get plugged in in Arizona uh, politically in 2018. And I had this front row seat to watching us uh, lose two Senate seats, right? 2018, yep. 2020, boom. Now now both Senate seats are held by Democrats, which I think is crazy in a, in a state like Arizona. And I also just look around at what's happening in this country. And to me, it feels like things are just coming apart at the seams. Um, you know, partly there's a new disaster from the Biden-Harris administration every day, every week. But also, I just I see decades of failure in our in our politics. I think it's sort of rotten to the core. And so I'm motivated to run uh, as this outsider on an America first platform, um, Trump 2016 platform, because I think we need a new generation of leadership if we're going to if we're going to save this country and have a chance at having a good future. Blake, I think most candidates, almost all candidates, you know, when they think about running for office, they have, you know, a million and one considerations. And then there's one final straw that makes them say, damn it, I got to do this. Uh, I can't take this anymore. Was there one of those for you? And if so, what was it? It was the sense that, you know, look, I, I <laughs> you can say the Democratic group. Party. That would be, you know, it's, it's, you know. it's basically that. Okay. But no, it's, okay. I, I feel like uh, if I don't run, then we're, we're likely to lose the seat forever. And, you know, OK, I have a good business career. I enjoy spending time with my family. But how am I going to look my kids in the eye in five or 10 years when our country is deteriorating if I didn't step up to the plate? And, and do what I thought I needed to do to to win. You um you, you do know, you I, do a lot you do, a, do you, you do you do a ton of town halls meetups uh, panels debates that sort of thing. What are you hearing most uh, as the biggest concern in the audiences you appear at? What what during Q and A or just by the the vibe of the room? What what seems to be the biggest concern of the, on the voters' minds that show up to hear you? 
I'd say the border crisis. Uh-huh. You know, the border crisis. Maybe election integrity is is just co-equal to that. Those are you know those come up every single time, and understand why they're top of mind for people. Um, and and that makes total sense. So we spend most of the evening talking about that stuff. But let me mention two uh, things that come up that are a little bit less expected. One is uh, big tech. And I think people really just feel like big tech has come to be an existential threat. There's a censorship problem. There's a, you know, big tech swings elections problem. Um, there's a lot of problems with big tech. And then schools, you know, and there's an ideological We hit a bad path. People yeah. know. Okay. People know if you wipe away the left-wing ideology from the schools, the schools are still failing. They're yeah. failing to teach kids basics, reading, writing, arithmetic. And that comes up every night in these town halls, too. It's a great point. Before we got into the CRT, the critical race theory debates, the 1619 project, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, in our schools, it's a really good point. It's not as if the schools were surfeited with stories of success on the three R's and, 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 and then some and science, right? right? It's not as if they were, it's not as if they were in a good position on what their first charges were supposed to be. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the social media thing. As a as a um, as someone who has spent a lot of time in Silicon Valley, you yourself, uh, how do you handle? How do you wrestle with? How do you grapple with the uh, the, the problems with the social media and uh, and and big tech censorship? Well, I almost think we can't do enough because uh, it's just really dangerous. This unchecked corporate consolidation of power in just a handful of multinational corporations that control the flow of information in society, right? So I think we have to eliminate the Section 230 uh, immunity that we currently grant these companies. It's basically corporate welfare. And they want to act like publishers? Fine, we're going to treat you like publishers. Um, I think we should treat, you know, Facebook and Twitter like common carriers, you know, like the phone company. The phone company can't kick us off uh, the line for having a conversation in support of President Trump. So I don't think Facebook or Twitter should be allowed to do that either. You know, we probably have to update the antitrust laws and and maybe break Facebook up. You know, it's unclear to me why they're allowed to own Facebook and WhatsApp and Instagram, all these different properties, uh, each of which hoover up all this data about you. So much more data than people realize just so they can sort of effectively centralize it, turn it around and weaponize it against you to serve you ever more precise targeted ads. Um and, you know, I really worry about can Facebook swing an election? Can can Google secretly change its search engine algorithms in the weeks before an election to, to boost content for the Democrat and to suppress content for the Republican nominee? Um, I'm not saying they did that, but, gosh, they have the motive and opportunity, and no one would really know if they were subtle enough. And so I worry a lot about that. I'm not saying that either, right? Uh, but I'll tell you, I have my suspicions, and it's something that's happened recently you know, in my position, you uh, you end up interviewing a lot of candidates uh, such as yourself. And, you know, what we want to do just to, you know, be fair and for context is give out the website, the official campaign website of the candidates. In your case, it's BlakeMasters.com while I'm speaking of it. But I will tell you and uh, my producer, uh, Bill, who helps me out with this stuff, will tell you, too. It has been increasingly difficult to land on the actual right campaign website, official website of Republican candidates. It used to be the first thing that pops up. Generally, it isn't anymore. It's an odd thing with Republicans. It's an odd thing. So when you say you have, have your that's small, me. it's a small, a small example. But when you say you have your I have suspicions, I do too. Me yeah. Every week, people people message me with screenshots that show them typing mm-hmm. Blake Masters for Senate. 
into the Facebook yep. search bar, and then no results come, even though my Facebook page is called Blake Masters for Senate. Yeah. Uh, so is that suppression? I don't know what's going on, but it doesn't look good. <laughs> I, I, I Exactly right. Now, talk to me just a second about, with me just a second about the other thing you mentioned, election integrity, because I have a general, uh, a general view of it uh, for federal office holders, which is, in a sense, it's almost none of your business. <laughs> Does that make sense? It's almost something that a federal candidate should not have much to do with, um, in the sense that these are things that really should be held and dealt with at the state level. But you tell me if I'm misinterpreting or overreading that. Or under reading. Well, I agree with you about okay. I agree with you about that. Of okay. course, I think you know states states run elections, uh, localities run elections. The federal government we do not want running elections. That's what Democrats want, right? That's yep. HR one, HR four. Yep. So, I, as a federal candidate, right, and yep. my job in the U.S. Senate will be to oppose any sort of federalization and centralization uh, that the Democrats are trying to pull off. So, I still think it's our issue, but it's our issue to keep it safe for the states to to do that. Um, but I, I don't know. I think, you know, uh, there's a bully pulpit that comes along sure. with being a candidate sure. or a, a U.S. senator. You bet. And look, I think Arizona needs to tighten up its state election laws. And I talk to state representatives and state senators about this, you know, every week. Mm-hmm. I think you ought to require a voter ID for mail-in ballots mm-hmm. in Arizona. Mm-hmm. The signature verification thing, I'm convinced, isn't good enough. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to keep talking about that, you know, even though, yes, it's properly a state issue. we got a lot of work to do in this state. It is interesting how the Democrats do want to federalize that through massive omnibus legislation. It's another example of big. Just, you know, aren't we kind of learning that big, whether public or private, is the problem? Big is the problem. Comprehensive, big big corporations. Not much different than big government, quite frankly. Not anymore. No, that's right. We're drowning in bureaucracy in our society. It's like, you know, we built the Hoover Dam in two years, and now... Such an engineering project at that scale would take 12 years if you could even finish it at all after all the environmental regulatory review studies and commissions and all this crap, right? Why would you expect to run a, go- a government, run a country efficiently if you're doing it through 5,000-page omnibus bills that no one voting on the damn thing can even read? You know, like, it, it makes no sense, but, but this is the system. We're just drowning in bigness, drowning in bureaucracy. You know that's an interesting thing. I'm I'm just thinking about that. So I guess I I guess the uh, 3.5 trillion supplemental is going to be reduced some. And to me, it was never the number; it was what was in it, which kind of goes that's to right. that point you were making. I think you agree with that. And 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 that's what's interesting about it. It could have passed. You know, if if cinema or or mansion weren't where they were, it could have passed before we knew what was in it. So it takes us about, I don't know, three weeks to get the crunching of what is in these massive pieces of legislation before we understand them. I was reading off the Republican Study Committee uh, uh, website. I know you're close with uh, the Republican Study Committee chairman. And, um, you know, that only came online about a week and a half ago, I think. Uh, We have been debating the merits of this bill without knowing that stuff. It's a really odd way to make legislation and spend money. Right. And, of course, the Democrats don't have the filibuster-proof majority. That's right. Right. And so they're trying to pass all of this enormously uh, impactful and sweeping legislation. They want to just change how this country works through this reconciliation you know, budget process. And it's really dangerous. You know? And look at all the stuff that's in it. They're trying to sneak in mass amnesty. 
um, you know, for certain kinds of illegal immigrants. And it's just, you know, we, we just cannot let this happen. Here's uh, here's something that came up today on the show. I'd love to throw it at you, uh, Blake. Uh, we were talking a lot about Merrick Garland earlier. I'm sure you've been talking a lot about Merrick Garland today, too. But, you know, I, I was just reminding people, you know, the Democrats are the Democrats. And I'm old enough to remember when we were told, you know, you Republicans better get on board with Supreme Court Justice nominee Merrick Garland. You're not going to get more moderate than he is. He is the most moderate right. Democrat you can get on the Supreme Court. You Republicans are going to not do any. You know, if you don't do Merrick, it'll be worse. And so throw a question to you. Should you be elected to the United States Senate? You will vote to confirm or not confirm uh, appointees to the federal courts and the Supreme Court. What will make that determination for you, irrespective of whether you're on the Judiciary Committee or not, right? You get that vote. What would be the determining things you'll be looking at when you uh, have federal judicial nominees in front of you for your advice and consent? The key question is, does this potential justice take the Constitution seriously? Um, are they looking at it as, you know, the supreme law of the land, that they have to interpret it? And I think that means tightly, strictly read the word, you know, would take into account what did it mean in 1789, um, and, you know, kind of be a strict constructionist? Or do they view it as a, you know, ever-living, uh, breathing political document, i.e., are they liberal, are they going to drift left over time? Are they just going to make the law, you know, and pigeonhole it somehow into the Constitution? Um, I actually think I'm pretty good at, you know, telling which judges are which. And I think we got to do a much better job on this. You know, the Wall Street Journal wanted to beat Josh Hawley up yep. when he uh, held up some some nominations that the Fed stock, Federalist Society, wanted wanted to go through. They wanted Josh Hawley's rubber stamp. And Hawley is smart, and he said no. I'm going to independently vet this judge because I'm not sure that she's got the right constitutional interpretive framework. And I think every senator, every Republican senator has to do that because we've just seen allegedly conservative judges get nominated. And then over time, they just drift left. We need more Clarence Thomases. We need more Justice Alitos. Those are the names. I'm really glad you that. Those are the names. That's it. Clarence Thomases and Sam Alitos. You betcha. Blake Masters, thank you. And again, my apologies for the scheduling uh, error on my part yesterday. BlakeMasters.com. We'll be hearing more from from you uh, throughout the campaign. Appreciate your time, sir. Thank you, Seth. Absolutely. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We shall return. There's the uh, aforementioned uh, Elton John. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. Sam is in Phoenix. Hello, Sam. Hey, Seth. You're doing good. Thank you, hey, sir. I want to give a little bit different spin on this uh, this Democrat thing. And I, I think sometimes a lot of what they do in Washington, you know, the mom and pop, you know, living in middle America never see, and they just go on with their lives. But right now, we have empty store shelves. Right now, you know, it costs me almost 60 bucks to fill up my tank. Uh, right now, the disaster in Afghanistan it was in front and center for everyone. And I think also the border crisis. And I think when the American people start having the effects of a 
10-month presidential term impacting them this quickly. Uh, I think, you know, they're passing laws or one thing, but the American people are seeing the effects of their actions, and they're not liking it. Obviously, Biden at 37 percent. And I think they cannot get away with doing this for so long. And I, and I also want to preface this with some, some clients I have from China who are here now. Uh, they're not going back, but they're business people. And, you know, we talk about an authoritarian regime. But the point is you cannot, and history shows this, you cannot put your foot on people's throats indefinitely. And sooner or later, you know, the old saying is everyone yearns to be free. And, you know, you're starting to see little things happening in China, the people rebelling in very, very small little ways, because they just don't care. There will be people who will, you know, plow their fields under or, you know, destroy their vegetable, you know, crop, because they're done. They've had it. They can't do anything more to them. And I think the people of this country are seeing this fast, quick deterioration since the Biden administration took over, and they're waking up to it, and they don't like it. And, and I think that's going to be part of the, the savior of this country. I hope you're right. I hope you're right. And this was a uh, big part of what um, Jim Jordan's Q&A with uh, Marilyn, uh, Merrick Garland was today. And so here's a question for you, Sam, that I wrestle with con- con- constantly. Um, did Donald Trump possibly distort v- the view of things in the 2020 election in the sense that, you know, we told the American people what to expect with the Biden presidency. We told them what to expect with the progressive uh, with the progressive uh, wing of the Democratic Party becoming the main wing of the Democratic Party, becoming the entire fuselage, really, of the Democratic Party. Uh, and irrespective of one's claims of fraud or not, Joe Biden got an awful lot of votes and and again, irrespective of claims of fraud or not, a vast number of the American people chose it anyway. You could look to California, Larry Elder and Gavin Newsom. What you said about life today in California, your life today in California, it's multiple. Times worse, isn't it? Whether it's inflation, certainly gas prices, whether it's homelessness, whether it's uh, substance use, whether it's uh, crime, rising crime, rising violent crime, um, failing educational scores. And they chose to double down on that, right? This is my, what I think about constantly. Have we reached tipping points where we say, "Okay, this was the final straw. This is the final line. We're not going to do this anymore. They went too far. Or are we getting used to, for lack of a better word, decadence? Well, let let me do this. Let me do this, Sam. Sam, let me do this. I I posed a long question to you right before commercial break. I got to take it. If I can exercise your patience just a few more moments, I'll let you think about it and answer on the other side. If you have the time, we'd love to keep you. 602-508-0960. With apologies to Miller. You got the time. We got the air. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Is there a word for invented words and songs? Is there a word for it? Like you see it uh, 
Oh, and the Joker, Pompatus of Love. That's not a real word. Or Ameta in uh, Paul McCartney's Jet. And the stuff Lionel Richie does in All Night Long when he goes into that, what sounds like, I don't know, some kind of Jamaican language. It's not. They're made up. Is there a... Well, I don't know what those would be. Anyway, a much more pregnant question was posed to listener caller Sam in Phoenix, which was, uh, Sam, uh, when 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 is that last straw? What does it take? Have we hit it? I've thought we've had a lot of last straws. California seemed like a pretty good testing ground for what happens when misery takes over, and they elected or redouble or double down on misery. You take my point. You understand the nature of my question. Yeah, I do, but we, you know, I think one thing is uh, the California issue is skewed because of the large Democratic voter rolls. But you know, you look across the country, and uh, you know, the Democrats have a, a slight advantage. But you know, there's a tremendous independent portion of the country, um, and I think you know, again, it's just how much pain you feel. Now, if, if I'm sitting there living in, in California and I have my little, you know, 1,900 square foot ranch house, all of a sudden it's worth a million dollars. Okay, whatever. I'm okay. I'm fine. You know, um, but I think the point is, you know, the largest part of the country, uh, it's when it's it's all about pain. How much pain you have? How uncomfortable are you? And that uncomfortable quotient is rising, and it's going to get worse. And that's when people sit around their kitchen table, you know, at night and say, "Wait a minute, you know, I voted for Joe Biden because, you know." My, you know, my uncle told me he couldn't stand the tweets anymore, and I didn't want to, you know, argue with my uncle anymore, so I voted for him. But the point is, now I'm feeling pain in a short period of time, in a tremendous short period of time. All of a sudden, there's all these things happening, and I think the people are starting to come, you know, starting to wake up. And I, I do think it's just a matter of, of you get so much pain and so much chaos that the people will sit there and say, wait a minute. This is not what I paid for. I paid for, you know, everybody getting along, build back better. We're all going to be one, you know, kumbaya and everything else. And uh, and then the other thing is, you know, the Democrats are really good at you know, getting in front of a podium and saying, don't believe you're lying on. This is happening and, and that's happening. And, and whatever it is from COVID uh, to gas prices to empty shelves to, you know, supply shortage, they're all talking about that, but they're all talking about it and the people are living it. Well, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope you're right. I'll tell you, there are signs here and there. I take it as a sign that we have stumbled on something successful, powerful, and righteous when, on our side when it takes the federal government's deployment of the FBI to stop it. Right? I take it that when we woke up to what was going on in the schools— Boy, did they move fast on that. I take that as a, I don't know, would you call it a tell? I take that as a tell. And I'm hoping that, you know, it's designed as a chilling effect. I hope people aren't chilled from going to school board meetings. I'm hoping they will double down on their vociferousness at these school board meetings and their energies at these energies at these school board meetings. I'm hoping. But that's kind of a tell. When they go after you, when they go to censor something, when they go to put a chilling effect on something, when they threaten law enforcement against nothing more than speech, speech, political speech at that, to the government, which, you know, school boards are, um, when they go after that, it tells me they are telling us we're on to something. Well, I, I agree. And I think Garland kind of, we walked back a little bit today because he said, well, listen, I'm, I'm all for the spirited speech. 
I just don't, you know, we're going to go after when people are threatened, death threats or something. He did say something of that today. And our, and was, our warning is not to believe him. I mean, the, the, our, my caution is don't believe him. But I think, you know, the other thing is there's a lot of, you know, don't mess with Mama Bear. Right. You know, <laughs> don't mess with Mama Bear. I mean, you, you do something, but when you mess with Mama Bear out there, uh, she gets her, you know, she gets her claws up. Uh-uh, don't do that because she's going to protect her cubs. Come hell or high water. Uh, listen, I uh, hope you're right. I hope you're right. The problem is they got mama bears on their side, too. I, I, I'm not trying to disagree at all. I, 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 I hope you're right. It's just that I think that um, we can't in any sense, nor are you counseling complacency, but we can't in any sense think that this will be the worst, this will be the last. Because every time we've said that, Boy, there was worse to come. How did Shakespeare put it? You can't say this is the worst if you can say this is the worst. Sam, thank you. 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. We don't have to keep that, Bill. That was good for this once because I had asked the question, what is the word for made-up words in songs? There's a lot more than I gave you examples of. Pompadus of Love is probably the biggest uh, or the most well-known one, but there's a lot of them, made-up lyrics in songs. There is a phrase for it. It's called a reverse Mondegreen. Mondegreen is a misheard lyric on the listener's side, but a reverse Mondegreen is a deliberate made-up word by the lyricist him or herself. Yeah, I don't think it does. I think a reverse Mondegreen would be when the singer-lyricist doesn't know what I'm saying. <laughs> Misinterprets me, huh? That would be more fitting. <laughs> I... Uh, I was at a restaurant uh, uh, not so long ago, and it was totally empty, and uh, except for one other table, which was right next to us. And sitting at that table was Bradley Cooper and his uh, daughter and his daughter's mother. And they were totally empty restaurant except the two of us, <laughs> okay, two tables. And I was telling some friends about it. And uh, they said, what was, what, 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 what was he like? And I said, well, I think he was really nervous because he didn't know what to say to me or thinking about what to say to me on his way out. That's, that, that was my sense of it. That was my sense of him. He seemed nervous not knowing what to say to me on his way out, right? That's what you usually would think about in those kinds of situations, I would think. Anyway, welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. A lot happened today, so much that... Uh, maybe the most important stuff is going to also be memory hold. Uh, and this is, of course, why there is a crisis industrial complex, which is meant to overwhelm us, not just whelm us. Whelming would be hard enough. By the way, did you know whelming was a word? Whelming would be hard enough, but to overwhelm us. I mean, if we're dealing with Merrick Garland's assault on the First Amendment, if we're dealing with Merrick Garland's assault on the First Amendment, um, while, why, 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 of course, it would be a good day for the deputy 
director of the National Institutes of Health, to say that, indeed, there was gain-of-function funding from the National Institutes of Health to the Wuhan Virology Lab, which is what we learned today, if you have ears to hear it and eyes to see it. Meaning, Anthony Fauci, wrong again or lied again? Take your pick. Take your pick. I was willing to give Anthony Fauci this small grace once upon a time, which is he may not know. He may not know. I mean, you can forgive certain people certain things that may not have reached their, you know, reached their desk or have, asked, uh, you know, uh, absorbed their attention given five other things they may be doing. I, I, I can appreciate in a bureauc- bureaucracy with something like that that maybe, but, 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 lest I be misunderstood, <laughs> lest I be quoted out of context on this, the but is very important. He doubled and tripled and quadrupled down on it in open congressional hearings. But for that, one might say maybe he gets a pass on this stuff. He should not get a pass on this because he doubled, tripled, and quadrupled down on it, particularly under questioning from Jim Jordan, and never sent a correction of the record. Never sent a correction of the record, ever. Never admitted to being wrong. That's not what Anthony Fauci does. That's not what Democrats do. That's not what Democrats do. Um, have any of you watched uh, this? Uh, do- it's kind of a documentary series. I think it was orig- uh, was it done by FX? I think it was FX on the impeachment, the Lewinsky Clinton impeachment situation. It's like an eight-series documentary. And I was just reminded of a moment from that episode, which seems so long ago. And yet yesterday, when you watch that documentary, everything comes back to memory. Um, There was an interesting moment where President Clinton uh, deliberately, bald-facedly, lies to the federal judge taking his deposition in the Paula Jones case. Her name Susan Weber Wright, I think it was, federal judge from Arkansas, federal judge. And he openly lies to her. And uh, the president's attorney was uh, the president's attorney was Robert Bennett, uh, William Bennett's brother. And, you know, he didn't know Bill Clinton was lying. But he later had to write a letter of apology to the judge for being part of of a testimony where his client lied to the judge when it came out that Bill Clinton lied. Anyway, when Bill Clinton gave an address to the nation once that all came out, once that all came out, the biggest debate in the Oval Office about what he was going to say in his speech to the American people, you know, having lied to us, I did not have da-da-da-da-da, wagging his finger, denying for like a year that anything like that which was alleged took place when everything that was alleged took place. The biggest debate about what he was going to say in that speech was whether he was going to actually say, I'm sorry, I apologize. He didn't want to. 
he wasn't going to. It was a, as close to a bloody fight as possible with Paul Begala that he had to apologize to the country. It is not the democratic form. It's not the democratic playbook. Again, swim, eat, and make baby progressives. It's their three rules of life. And if they don't tell you that, I'm telling you, watch them. I'm right. We'll be right back. Thank you for spending some of your afternoon with us. It was a pregnant news day, and a lot will bleed over into tomorrow. If you didn't get on today, um, call back tomorrow. We'll put you right up there. Uh, and if you didn't get to make the point you wanted to make today and called in uh, based on just time or time crunch, uh, feel free to call again tomorrow as well. Open lines Friday. There is a lot being thrown at us. A lot of it is trying to change the dictionary. A lot of it is trying to t change the moral dictionary. A lot of it is trying to change history. And it makes our job tough. It really does. It's tough to try and restate the obvious when people choose to live in a cave because what they see in the cave is more comfortable than what they see in the light of day. And if you read about the analogy of the cave in Plato's Republic, you will see that those who have made it to freedom and go back to tell the extant cave dwellers about reality versus what they're looking at, they fight you. They fight you. Just as someone who's perhaps drowning in an ocean or a pool that you try and save instinctually will fight you. And yet you are still obligated to save them. Yet you are still obligated to teach them. That's the rock upon which our political salvation must be built. Reteaching moral sense and restating the obvious. I love doing it with you. I learn so much from you all every day. It's a blessing to come in here. And we take none of you for granted for having us in your houses, cars, hearts, minds, and homes. Until tomorrow, God bless you all. Class dismissed. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs>